1: Talk about adoption and infertility. Today we're going to be talking about practical tips for parenting a child with ADHD, that's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Nonprofit, and you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We have recently launched a brand new Waiting Child Center. Uh, we have had a Waiting Child Center in the past, but we have uh, redesigned it and it is relaunched. It, we are really excited about this and we hope that you will, and we hope that you'll be too, uh, but you won't know unless you go check it out. So go to our website, creatingafamily.org, ho- uh, hover over the word resources, and then click on on That's on the top. Then click on Awaiting Child Center. Uh, I think you're really going to like it. Let us know. You can drop us an email at info at We also have online education for parents, adoption education for parents. In fact, we have turned the interview That is the basis for today's show into a course. Uh, The course is titled Raising a Child with Attention Deficit Disorder. Uh, And if you need a certificate of completion, let's say you listen to this show and you think, oh, I've learned a lot. I would like to, I need to submit this to either uh, my agency, uh, and I want to get credit for it rather, and I need to submit something to my agency, or if you are a foster parent and you need this for some of your in service training, you can get that at the Creating a Family Adoption Ed for Parents Center. Uh, to find that, you would go to our website, creatingafamily.org. You would hover over the word online, online courses. You would click on individual courses, and then you would look for the course titled Raising a Child with Attention Deficit Disorder. Uh, and uh, then this, that will be this interview, and you would get your certificate of completion. Uh, so, Make sure you do that and again let us know if it's been helpful. The Creating a Family Radio Show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. We thank them for their continued support for making this show happen. This show, as I mentioned, is going to be on practical tips for parenting a child with ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivities Disorder. This was an interview with Dr. Edward Halliwell. Dr. Hallowell is, is often called the grandfather of ADD or, or the, uh, kind of the, the guru or whatever. He wrote one of the very first books. It's not his only book, but it was one of the first books. Uh, on the topic of what he called ADD, the title of that book was Driven to Distraction. It became a bestseller, uh, both with the press as well as with, uh, it was a, a bestseller in general, but also the press picked it up. There was a lot of attention given to it. And, and parents uh, who had kids who uh, were just a lot more active, a lot more uh, unfocused, than other kids found help. He has also written other books on ADHD, including one called Super Parenting for ADD, again, Attention Deficit Disorder. This was a show that we did a number of years ago. I I loved it. It was truly one of my favorites. I had written, re, I had read Dr. Hallowell's book uh, long before I was involved in this field because I needed it on a personal level with my own children. Uh, and was so impressed uh, by the book. I continued to read uh, his books, continued to find them helpful. Uh, So interviewing him was a real treat for me. Uh, And I think it will be for you as well. I hope you enjoy it. I have been long a fan of uh, your books, Dr. Halliwell. Thank you so much for being my guest today.
2: Well, thank you so much.
1: You start this book, The Super Parenting for ADD, in just a wonderful way. And I'd like to read the very opening paragraph uh, on page three because I I just loved it. Nowhere in life do we see love burn more brightly, work harder, or achieve more than in the relationship between a parent and a child. This is real love, messy love, nonstop, never off-duty love. This love forever changes you. When you have a child, you enter into a permanent state of psychosis. You go crazy. You fall insanely in love with that little baby, whether the baby is adopted or born to you. I just, I love that beginning. And and later in the chapter, you actually, uh, there's another section I I won't continue to read from the book, but (laughs) later you say, don't ever give up on your child or on that power of love. Sometimes it's all you've got. I just i love that i um i I so think that it's the relationship i I sometimes tell people particularly because i have teens now i say it's the relationship thing uh but you know it seems to me that never is this more true this power of love than with kids with add and and i might add uh, learning disabilities as well but that's another show uh you say that this unconditional love is what makes the difference in adults that are happy and those who aren't. But it, the hard part is that kids with ADD can be so exasperating, not necessarily difficult to love, but difficult to do what you call love wisely. What do you mean by wise
2: love? Well, first of all, thank you for reading those opening sentences. And I, and I really uh, uh, want to emphasize, because I just don't think we doctors uh, – Emphasize nearly enough the the preeminent power of love. I mean, you know, it, it's a we get wrapped up in our various treatments and whatnot, but uh, nothing, nothing, nothing matters more than loving a child. You know, over the course of a of, of a childhood, and and it's fun. You know, my main advice to parents is enjoy your children, and you know, if you enjoy them, it's almost for sure you're you're doing it right. So I I really try to start off with a big boost you know uh in just saying go with that love go with that madness you know that psychosis you know that it's the it's the best thing you'll ever do and then you know yes with with kids who are exasperating as kids with add can be who you know don't follow directions and do what they're told and you know aren't the perfect little doobies it, it you you can get annoyed with them often but that doesn't mean you don't love them you know loving a child often means you say no often means you set limits
0: and sometimes you get angry
2: you know the the, the opposite of love is not conflict the opposite of love is indifference Mm-hmm. and 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 you know so you want to you know stay engaged and if you get angry that's part of being a parent you know don't you know if you if you if you really lose it you apologize you know you you, you explain what happened you know and, and that's a good lesson in and of itself so i think parents you know enjoy your kids be yourself be real be passionate uh get involved spend time together you know i mean there's just no substitute for that and and in today's very crazy busy world you know oftentimes kids don't have family dinner or don't have outings with their parents and and that's that's the big mistake that you don't want to make it it's fine to get angry with them it's fine to have tiffs and conflicts what what is not fine is to not spend time with them I've often thought pediatricians
1: should prescribe family night, you know, once a week. Just do something fun, be it a board game, be it watching a favorite TV show, be it, you know, going outside and, and playing Chase. Just do something fun one night a week with your kids.
2: Yeah, more than
1: one night.
2: <laughs> no, 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 but that's that's a good starting point. Or, you know, I say you have 20 minutes of special time every week. You know, and special time is defined mm-hmm. as you do anything the child wants during that time as long as it's safe and it's legal, and you, and you guarantee that you won't be interrupted. So just 20 mm-hmm. minutes, it goes a long way. So we're not saying you have to quit your job. We're not saying you can't be a career person or a single mom or dad at, at all. If If you just put in the... The, the special time, if you, if you make time to have fun together, uh, then the love will you know do its work.
1: It, it may be an oversimplification, but it seemed like to me when reading Super Parenting for ADD that you see ADD, attention deficit disorder, as more of a trait than a disorder. You encourage parents and teachers to, to look for the strengths of these kids first and then only second look to the weakness that could be getting in the way of these talents. Can you give us an example of what you mean by that?
2: Well, yes, and you're, you're exactly right, and that's really what's uh, new about this book in terms of its emphasis. This is a this is a a, a very strong self, uh, strength-based approach, and, and seeing ADD as a as a trait rather than a disorder, and it, and it has positives and negatives. And and an example, you know, uh, when I see a child in my office and for the first time and diagnosing ADD, what I say to him, let's say it's a ten-year-old boy, I'll say to him, "You're so lucky." You know, you've got an awesome brain. You've got a Ferrari engine up there for a brain. You've got a race car for a brain. And you're going to win a lot of races in your life. I say, but there is one problem. You know, you've got Model T brakes. Your brakes aren't strong enough to slow you down when you need to slow down. And and I'm a brake specialist. So what we're going to do is we're going to strengthen your brakes so you can win races. Well, that kid leaves the office along with his parents feeling excited. You know, okay, we're going to win races. I'm on my way to being a champion. As opposed to the old model, the the deficit-based model that says, oh, too bad, you've got this disorder, this disability, and, you know, we'll do what we can to, you know, make you okay, you know. And and that kid leaves and his parents leave feeling totally bummed out. You know, they go into the car and cry and they they feel like they've been told, which they have been told, their child has a terrible disability. And, you know, the best you can hope for is, you know, maybe eking out an average life. Well, that's just not true. It's just not true, and the strength based model brings into the process hope, enthusiasm, energy, and you just get much better outcomes so so', the so same that's trait what I, I, can be described as um, you know
1: distractible could be described as distractible, which is a negative, it could also be described as spontaneous,
2: exactly. which
1: is Or, or, or able curious the connections are curious, you know they're yes. different yeah, sometimes just redefining the terms um, can change. How we perceive it. We've gotten an email from Steve. My wife suggested I write to you for today's show. She also suggests weekly that I listen to your shows, and I do. I do my morning run each Thursday listening to you. Well, that's kind of frightening. Uh, I hope I'm an inspiring runner uh, for his run. My question is this Our 10 year old struggles in school academically and sometimes socially, but not all that much. He excels in athletics and generally seems to be a happy kid. My wife, in his past two years of teachers, thinks that he should be on some type of drug for ADD. I don't want to drug my kid into behaving, and I don't like the idea of putting a child on a drug for life. We don't even know all the side effects that could appear. I think the problem is with our society, not my child. My wife thinks our child has to live in the society and needs medication to do so. I know you can't diagnose my son, but what is your general philosophy?
2: Well, you know, you're right. I can't diagnose your son and I and I I make these remarks uh, general. Uh but do, people ask me sometimes do I believe in medication? And and my answer is it's not a religious principle. And yet often people approach it as if it were, you know, the sort of I'm for it or against it. Uh, my position is sort of I call myself a radical moderate. I I I believe passionately about pre- pre- preserving the middle position that says, look, Medication is medication. Used properly, it can be very useful. Used improperly, it's dangerous. Uh, now, the the meds we use to treat ADD, in fact, are among some of the safest medications we've got. Their their side effects are immediately controllable by either lowering the dose of the medicine or discontinuing it altogether. And the medicine is in and out of your system over the course of a day. So so as long as the meds are properly supervised there should be no zero uh, long term side effects and any short term side effects that appear are controllable that day you know so 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 as long as you're in the hands of a good doctor uh, the downside of medication is is pretty much nil
1: what about and the upside uh, can lack be of, tremendous what about lack of growth uh, and uh, lack of appetite and things such as
2: that Sure. As long as you um, uh, maintain your food intake, you're not going to lose weight. If you start losing weight, that's an unacceptable side effect, and you have to stop the medication. The growth uh, we can um, compensate for by stopping the medication during the summer. So you get whatever, and it's very mild growth suppression, but whatever growth suppression might occur, if you discontinue the medication during the summer, you get a compensatory spurt in growth. Okay. Uh, so, so again, proper supervision of the meds um, uh, uh, ensures that there won't be any side effects. And I should add, you have to ask also what are the side effects of not taking the medication. And chronic frustration failure in school over years uh, has permanent side effects, namely damage mm-hmm. sense of self and, and, and not progressing in life the way you want to.
1: There's another uh, question on, uh, on medication, so we'll get those uh, in here at the beginning. Uh, thanks for doing this show on this topic. What is Dr. Halliwell's opinion on stimulant drugs for a second grader with ADHD and or a tenth grader with ADD? And I think this is the, the focus of her question. What's the difference between Concerta and Adderall? Are there specific symptoms you look for in deciding which medication to try first?
2: Well, the, the stimulants are divided into two broad categories. Uh, one is uh, methylphenidate-based. The name of the molecule is methylphenidate. And the ones that are based on methylphenidate include Ritalin uh, and Concerta, which is a long-acting form of methylphenidate, or Ritalin-LA, and the LA stands for long-acting, or Metadate, or the Daytrana patch. All of those are, uh, the patch is something you put on your skin and it's slow-release. All of those are based on methylphenidate. The other category of stimulants, the large category, are those that that use the molecule amphetamine. And and those include dexedrine, and then Adderall, uh, and Adderall XR, which is the long-acting form of of Adderall. Uh, So there there are two major categories, either methylphenidate-based or amphetamine-based. you can't tell in advance which medication is going to work. Uh, so it's, it's really a matter of, of trial and error. Uh, and, 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 yes, you can give a stimulant to someone who has attention deficit disorder with hyperactivity, and you can also give it to someone who has attention deficit disorder without hyperactivity. You can certainly give it to a second grader, and you can give it to a tenth grader. And, and, and the, age
1: would not dictate whether or not you would use the uh, methylphenidate. Uh, Epilphenidate,
2: no, not at all. Or
1: the amphetamine-based. So no, neither,
2: is... neither the age nor the you know, ADHD with hyperactivity, ADHD without hyperactivity, both respond to stimulants. And the age of the child or the adult, for that matter, uh, would not determine which medication you'd choose. It, it's it's really trial and error. You try one, see if it works. If it doesn't, you try the other.
1: In Super Parenting for ADD, you talk about the cycle of excellence, and, and you, you talk about... You draw a circle, and, and the cycle begins with connection, which is where love and relationship fits in. But then it goes on to uh, the next step would be play, and the next step would be practice, and then mastery, and then last to recognition. And I think it seems like with ADD, so often uh, those of us who are parenting kids with ADD can get focused exclusively on the practice step, You know, work harder, You know, try harder, uh, do more, but without spending time with the connecting and the playing steps can you give us an example uh, you, you do in the book about the, the cycle of excellence so that it explains to people what you mean by that
2: sure and and this really is the this is the most important part of of sort of uh, treatment of of, of a d d if you will it it, it you want to have a, a plan in place uh for developing talents and strengths over years. people think medication is a treatment no medication is an aid it can be helpful it isn't always helpful uh but it is not the cornerstone the cornerstone of treatment is this cycle of excellence and, and uh, uh you're quite right most parents and teachers jump in at step 3 say try harder work harder uh well you're that's never going to get the the optimal result unless you unless you precede uh, that command with connection and play and, and uh, uh, connection you know simply creates a positive emotional atmosphere uh, emotion is really the on-off switch for learning. And if you're anxious and afraid or angry and reluctant, you're not going to learn one-tenth what you'd learn uh, if you felt safe, secure, confident, and, and comfortable. So you do whatever you need to do, be it in a classroom, a playing field at home, to create conditions of safety and and positive connection. And then, and then you move on to, to play, which is sort of... Exploring Now, I'll give, I give you an example from my son's life. Jack, when he was in the fourth grade, uh, he found a, a bird in our backyard, a parakeet, and brought it inside, and we got a little cage at uh, Walgreens, and I thought that was the end of it. No, he went to school, and he got talking with the man who runs the shop, and he didn't even take shop. But they got talking, and one night Jack is uh, going to sleep, and he has a smile on his face, and I say, what are you smiling about, Jack? And he says, my bird cage." Well, a couple of months go by, and one day he says, Dad, you've got to come to school and pick up the birdcage. And he says, and bring the Suburban. Well, he <laughs> made this birdcage that's so big I can stand in it, and I'm six feet tall. The biggest birdcage you've ever seen. And making that cage was probably the most important thing he did in fourth grade, even though it wasn't even part of the curriculum. You can see those five steps right in there. He, he connected with the bird, fell in love with this little bird. And then he connected with the shop instructor. And this wonderful shop instructor, and they then started to play together. They started imagining bird cages, and they imagined one shape and another. And then, and the and the, the shop instructor obviously said, "Think big, Jack," and then, <laughs> and he did. And then, and then they and then they started practicing. They started constructing uh, the bird cage, you know, making the dream come true. And, and then he got step four, which is mastery, made progress in building it, and then step five, which is recognition. Other people noticed and praised him. And that those five steps just instill such important uh, qualities that really do predict happiness and success in life: confidence, self-esteem, enthusiasm, a sense that you know you can tackle a project and actually succeed. Um, uh, I think sometimes
1: every kid needs to be an expert in something, something that they feel that they can do really well, or something they know something about. That
2: absolutely, that's the mastery step yeah exactly that's so crucial that that's that's really the root of confidence and self-esteem it's not praising a child that builds confidence and self-esteem although it's fine to praise kids but what really cements it is the child proving to himself by building the birdcage or Mm -hmm. or whatever it might happen to be and what what we need our kids to be doing are building birdcages throughout childhood the grades they get matter so little compared to uh, they're having had that experience of of mastery, of doing something difficult, and 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 actually pulling it off, and that's what gives you the sense growing up that you can make dreams come true.
1: Here's a question from Gigi. We adopted a two-year-old two years ago. She is now four and a half. We want to be proactive. She is at risk for ADD and is what everyone calls a handful. She is also a great kid, and we see and try to accentuate the positive aspects to her boundless energy and quirky distractibility. How young is too young to diagnose a child? Is there any advantage to early diagnosis? How young is too young to start medication? And do you recommend holding a child back and starting kindergarten a year later? Does this extra year really help them? Uh, Our daughter is quite smart, so she doesn't need to be held back for academic reasons. Uh, Gigi's asked a, a number of questions. Uh, let's start with the um, how young is too young to diagnose? Well,
2: first of all, let me just say I, I love her description of her, that uh, her boundless energy and her, what did she say, quirky, quirky distractibility. Distractibility. <laughs> Yeah, That's wonderful. <laughs> I, I know. It, sound, it sounds like she is in the ADD ballpark, and, and, and this mom has such the right attitude that uh, uh, what you need to do is surround her with that positive energy that you've got, that sense that takes delight in her quirky distractibility, that takes delight in her boundless energy, and then you help her strengthen her brakes. And, and, uh, you know, you can diagnose her ADD at age four and a half. I would not start medication at age four and a half, but you can certainly start, you know, that framework and, 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 and call it a race car brain. You know, don't call it deficit disorder. You know, but just say quirky distractibility. That's great. And boundless energy. So that's the diagnosis. You don't need any more jargon. And 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 just infuse your positive, your delight in her, because you're going to have to tell others to take delight in her. You're going to have to show them her, her, you know, the upside, because they're going to be, oh, she's disobedient, she's disruptive, you know, she won't follow instructions, she ignores my commands, and all that. So you're going to have to be advocating for her. So you you're going to need to just keep stoking yourself and her with the with the positive side of of of, of who she is, because there is this side that will annoy other people. And and your, her biggest need will be your your advocacy. I, I, how about I,
1: holding her back for kindergarten?
2: Well, it, it, that's I'm a fan of that um, in general because these kids tend to be socially immature. Uh, it's not holding them back for academic reasons, but uh, if they are very socially immature, that extra year can make a big difference. Um, uh, so so you know I, uh, assess how does she do with peers? Is she more needy than most? Is she sillier than most? Is she you know, is she going to get excluded because she's socially immature? If not, mm-hmm. then go ahead and let her start. But if yes, then um, then uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great idea to, to to hold her back and give her that extra year of of growing up.
1: Now, you said that four and a half is too young to start medication. When do you? think it's not too young to start medication as a general rule obviously they're Well, going to be as
2: a general it. rule i tend not to start it under the age of six you could start it for the four and a half year old and and sometimes if, if impulsivity is life threatening you do it i i haven't done that in in years so i usually think of first grade as, as around the time that i i would start the earliest there's no medical reason you couldn't do it earlier but i usually counsel parents to you know do the other stuff that i've talked about connecting playing together mm-hmm. having fun a lot of get a lot of physical exercise have structure at home you know a bedtime and get up time mm-hmm. you know because these kids need more structure than your mm-hmm. your average child and and sort of work on the non medication uh, environmental uh, interventions uh, and emphasize those uh, uh, first and foremost.
1: I w- did my I did a blog entry not this week but last week on let's hear it for ruts because with my one of my ADD kids I learned the the freeing aspect of of routines. Uh, and that uh, they they freed her and allowed her to really express herself, but they also allowed me to enjoy parenting a lot more. Parenting a child with ADD.
2: Absolutely, you're so right. In routines and structure, uh-huh. far from being boring, they're 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 freeing. You, they are. You they really.
1: I mean, I didn't think it took me a while to be convinced of that, but uh, you know, my my eldest certainly taught me that lesson.
2: Yeah. Here's a
1: question from Christina. What ideas can you give parents of very young children under the age of two who have been exposed to illicit drugs in utero as to how they can lay a good foundation for dealing with ADD-ADHD issues in their children? I have no doubt that our 16-month-old will struggle with ADD-ADHD more as she grows. She certainly displays all the characteristics already. Are there any good foundational principles we can work on at this point in her life? Are there any differences in the way one would approach this in a child who has been addicted?
2: No, no not really. I mean, the the uh, fetal alcohol syndrome and and the other syndromes of of kids who've been exposed in utero uh, does result in a syndrome that looks just like ADD. And and uh, and the same principles that I've been stressing are the principles you want to use with these kids. Uh, you know, but but love them above all else. And and. Uh, uh you know know what's coming you you could read you know my book or other books uh, uh but but um, don't sort of uh hover over them as if they're damaged goods i think that's the mistake that uh, people make inadvertently but they say oh you poor thing you you you're so damaged you you had this terrible you know pregnancy and and now we've now we've got to treat you like you're damaged goods and kids pick up on that you know they really do uh so so Use the same principles I've been talking about: connect, play, practice, mastery, recognition, you know, and then, and structure, and sleep, and diet, and exercise, and and above all, you know, that positive bath of, of, of love. And um, uh, you know, yes, they'll be quirky. Yes, they'll be disruptive. Yes, they'll have attentional problems. But that's very deal withable. You, you don't. You just don't want to. You just don't want to have them grow up feeling like I'm weird in that way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh,
1: Christina also. I have on my website a um, books suggested books for parents, and I have a large number of suggested books for uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, and much of the same. Uh, wisdom would apply to children uh, drug-exposed rather than alcohol-exposed, although, quite frankly, most children who are drug-exposed were also alcohol-exposed. One that comes to mind would be Fetal Alcohol Syndrome, a Guide for Families and Communities by Dr. Ann, and I cannot pronounce her last name, Streiske, I think. it's a. Uh, I probably just slaughtered her name, but uh, it's very good. Uh, and I'm also in the process of adding a section on ADD and learning disabilities. And number one will be uh, Dr. Halliwell's book, uh, or books, I should say, Super Parenting for ADD as well as Driven to Distraction and um, Positively ADD. There's a lot of books out there that I'm going to have that are not currently on but will. You are listening to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility. Today we're talking with Dr. Edward Halliwell, co-author of numerous books on attention deficit disorder, including Driven to Distraction and his new book, Super Parenting for ADD. Here's a question from Bettina. I have twins from IVF that were born 11 weeks premature. Other than respiratory issues, they are doing okay. They are now three. They are my first children, and due to their respiratory issues, they are not in preschool, so I have little opportunity to compare them to other children. They seem pretty disorganized and distractible to me. My mother says they are wilder than most other three-year-olds, but then she thinks I'm too lenient. Are premature kids more prone to ADD?
2: Uh, yes, any any sort of brain um, stress uh, during pregnancy or or childbirth uh, can predispose to ADD. But I wouldn't let your mother make the diagnosis. You know, I <laughs> I, I, I I think yeah.
1: uh, that's always a little.
2: You might want to check in with a pediatrician. You might want to, and and again, this is, whether you want to say they are ADD or not, the same intervention is going to apply. Namely, you know, manage them, have fun with them, and and yes, some kids are ADD or not are simply more labor intensive than others. And, mm-hmm. and uh, in our uh, family, you know, we
1: call them high maintenance. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
2: You know, high maintenance. No, exactly. And, and so then, and then there, what you want to do is make sure you get help. Uh, delegate, you know, share the burden. You know, don't think you have to be heroic and do it alone. Um, get help from siblings, from dad, from you know, grandma. But, and when you say mom thinks I'm too lenient, watch out for that because you know, uh, if she means you should start spanking them, that's a real bad idea because that that really just makes matters worse. And 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 that generation sort sort of thought spanking was the answer to. You know all, all kind of misbehavior, and and it 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 just these kids get stimulated by spanking, and and if anything they they then start behaving to get more of it. Uh, so so don't hit your kids. It's a it's a real good principle to uh, abide by. It, it find other ways of 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 creating discipline.
1: We received a number of questions. That, 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 that all the questions have been very interesting, but we received a number of questions that. Uh, from the uh, those in the adoption community, and, but they could easily have just as well come from those in the infertility community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the uh, overlap between various diagnoses. Here's one from Tiffany. Uh, I just saw this post about the show and was wondering if Dr. Halliwell will be addressing the issues of adopted children who are misdiagnosed with ADD. I know this is a growing concern for many of us post-traumatic stress disorder and sensory issues, which can overlap with ADD, can seem like ADD, but have to be treated differently. What about the uh, either the misdiagnosis issue or the overlap between a, a veritable host of a list of, of diagnoses that uh, often children who have been institutionalized um, pre-adoption will come home with, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, sensory disintegration disorder. Uh, there's just a list of them.
2: Yeah, and as you know better than I do, the the uh, adopted population uh, uh, is way overrepresented in in, in all those diagnoses.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
2: I this is where I think we doctors don't do a, anybody any favors by trotting out our diagnoses because if you just provide uh, a loving structured environment, a lot of these diagnoses will disappear. And if you start jumping in. Labeling them, diagnosing them, uh, and then offering specific therapies or even medications—you just complicate the whole picture. I, I think, I think, give them a, give them a few months. You know, the, you know, at home with a set of parents who really loves them, who can get them sleep and diet and exercise and read to them and manage them their obstreperous behavior without, you know, whacking them too much. And you know, and 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 give them a trauma-free, uh, you know, love-rich uh, environment. And all these diagnoses tend to, you know, if not disappear, at least dissipate. And and uh, without medications, without uh, specific therapies, without uh, uh, all the burden that that entails. And believe me, you know, as you know, a lot of these moms particularly are, Carting their kids from one therapy to the next, and 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 reading all these scary books about how the bad outcome, and mm-hmm. and I, and, I, and I think, I'm, believe me, I'm not a, I'm not anti-diagnosis. I just think we, we are so trained to look for pathology.
1: I think you're right. To, I, you you know, know, and I help. think that you know, adoptive parents have been inoculated with that too. Uh, although I will say that certainly these conditions do exist, but you're right. It helps to wait a while before we automatically... Right. Uh, I had somebody diagnosing... A, uh, had, apparently a doctor had diagnosed a child with reactive attachment disorder. The child had been home for, I think, four weeks. Maybe not even yeah. four weeks. Yeah. Uh, and it was an older child uh, and had not even mastered, even come close to mastering the language and it was I just felt I mean, the child may well have some type of attachment issue, but it was awfully early. What no, about and that, well,
2: that's the diagnosis that comes out? Also, they often get diagnosed uh, bipolar. Uh, they get diagnosed conduct disorder, and you know all these sort of heavy duty diagnoses that. Um, but but
1: do you treat them different? Let's let's take the uh, post traumatic stress disorder. Or, well, mm-hmm. or bipolar or, or reactive attachment. Let's take uh, let's take PTSD. Does that? Would you treat that differently than you would ADD?
2: No, uh, you wouldn't. Uh, you know, the, the the main treatment of PTSD is is get them out of the traumatic situation. So in that sense, yes. You know, if they're being abused, you you put an end to the abuse, um, and and then and then it's really a matter of a normalized, uh, loving environment, uh, you, just as it would be for ADD, uh, with structure, with predictability.
1: What about, um, here's a question from Elizabeth, she's got a number of them. Her first one was about the connection between sensory integration -integration issues Mm -hmm. and ADD. Are they the same thing? Are they different things? Do they overlap? Are you more likely to have uh, sensory integration issues if you have ADD?
2: Yeah, most people with ADD do have sort of hypersensitivities, uh, sensory hypersensitivities. Like uh, my daughter with ADD, is extru- ex- extraordinarily sensitive to touch. She just can't wear wool. She has to wear cotton. Uh some people with ADD unbelievably sensitive to sound. Any loud sound is they just startle tremendously others hypersensitive to smell. I have ADD and I'm hypersensitive to smell. I can I've got an amazing nose, you know. So, uh uh yes, these these uh, sensory hypersensitivities. Now, when you get into the whole realm of sensory integration disorder uh or SI and what to do about it, there's a lot of kind of it's up for grabs, you know? it's almost who 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 you read. I, I personally think that diagnosis has been kind of over overdone, and and uh, but it certainly does have validity. Let me add that, and 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 in the hands of a good occupational therapist, uh, can make a can make a tremendous difference. So, you know, at guidance for a parent, I I'd, you know get a second opinion, see you know see who else has had a good experience with the doctor you're seeing or the OT you're seeing, and and uh, uh, before you jump into too much therapy, which is t- both an expense of time and money, uh, see what the more, the more, the kind of interventions that I'm talking about will do for you first.
1: Elizabeth has another question. She says, "Our son, and a Korean adoptee, uh, recently underwent ADD testing due to sleep disorder. We were wondering if there was an ADD component to his sleeplessness and ours." around the same time about 6 weeks ago he began a therapeutic listening program and has been sleeping through the night.
2: Oh that's wonderful. Yes, sleep problems are common in ADD. The most common is, is they have trouble tremendous trouble going to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then transitions are
1: difficult in general and
2: yeah. transition yeah. to
1: to from the from a, a wake state to a sleep state is a hard one.
2: Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then it's hard to transition from a sleep state to a wake yes. state. Yeah, exactly. And revert, right. Yeah. But a uh, listening program, that sounds great. Uh, sometimes melatonin, is sort of a natural sleep remedy will help. But this listening program sounds intriguing. I don't I don't know what that is, but
1: I don't either. I'm wondering with um yeah. our kids we did um sleep tapes where you know a very uh, melodic voice read a uh, story, and, and, mm-hmm. and they would listen to that, and then eventually that helped. But I, I don't think that was a therapeutic; that was mm-hmm. more <laughs> mommy putic here.
2: Sounds it well. Sounds like it was therapeutic. How old are your kids now?
1: Well, they're uh, my. Uh, they range in age from oh, let's see, twenty-one to thirteen. How many? So four.
2: Oh, good for you! Wow, <laughs> I, have, I have three: nineteen, sixteen, and thirteen. But, yeah, uh, uh,
1: Elizabeth has a second question. She says her son, and she doesn't give his name. I think he's seven, though, a seven-year-old. Uh-huh. His son bombed the executive function test, but scored great on all the checklists by us and his school teachers. I think she's referring to his ADD testing. Right. I think it's which, okay. The PhD who evaluated him was stumped. My belief is that we have taught him to function, even though he has some distractibility and may have decreased executive functioning. I figure he has some sensory issues being regulated by the listening therapy, but I'm interested in helping him gain the age-appropriate executive thinking skills. Any suggestions or reading would be helpful. Um, How does executive function play into an ADD and ADD diagnosis?
2: Well, they're really virtually synonymous. Uh, Executive functioning is sort of a fancy term for trouble with planning, organizing, prioritizing, time management, uh, creating routines and structures, and then that's right at the heart of ADD. So, yes. so everyone with ADD has problems with executive functioning, and and okay. uh, yeah, and and sometimes people think they're sort of separate, but they're they're really not. It, it's all in the frontal lobes, and and um, and this is where people with ADD need help. So, what she could do is just you know it 's a matter of learning new habits, you know, getting organized, getting dressed in the morning, organizing your homework, you know using how do you use lists and reminders and flashcards, and you know the older he gets, the more important it becomes and and uh, hopefully, school does some of that, home does some of that um, and this is training, learning new habits, learning tips, tricks, reminders to make up. In your external environment, what your internal environment, namely your frontal lobes, uh, don't have. Uh, Keeping in mind that uh, it's not an unmitigated curse because while these kids don't have advanced executive functioning, they tend to have advanced imagination, spunkiness, creativity, uh, ability to initiate uh, new ideas and plans, and, and so you know, So you, you want to, again, coming back to you want to make sure you're identifying and promoting their talents and strengths while you shore up their weakness with executive functioning.
1: Here's a good question I'm going to put, put in here now from Becky. Uh, she says, I have a 16-year-old daughter who has ADD. The hyperactive part is much less now, but the ADD part is still going strong. We have always created a lot of structure for her in our house and in school, and this really helps her. But as she ages, we want her to take over the structure creation or at least maintenance. Unfortunately, when we back off, she doesn't take over and she fails. For example, keeping her notebooks and backpack organized, we developed a system together years ago that has worked really well for her. However, she has to follow the system of putting homework in one pocket, old tests in another, handouts in another. So long as we sit down with her every afternoon, she gets everything in its place and does well she's proud of herself and really wants to do well but she's a junior in high school and we think that she should be learning to maintain this system on her own when we back off of the daily sit-down after school to reorganize her notebook she stops doing it my question is this is it time for us to let her fail so she will learn the value of keeping some level of organization. She needs to maintain a calendar and some level of organization, but ultimately she needs to learn to do it on her own or she'll never make it through college or a career. I guess I want to know if failure is a good teaching tool, especially for a 16-year-old. And that goes to the heart of what you were saying before you were listening, and, and I feel for that three of my four, um, we, we struggle with um, some of these issues. We're also blessed with some of these issues. Uh, but um, the... Uh, the notion of how long does a parent keep the system going, and at what point we do want our children to be the ones who realize that they need to study using flashcards, or they need to to put, to put uh, reminders on their steering wheel to remind right. them to to get this. We want them to take over, you know, the the sticky pads and uh, keeping a calendar and all that. So, uh, what about Becky?
2: In this particular instance, uh, failure is a is a terrible tool to use because if you let these kids sink or swim, they will sink. Uh, it's not because they they don't want to get organized. They they just can't. And so when you back off, she will fail. And and she, all she's going to learn from that is that life is hard and she's inept. And you don't want her to learn either of those lessons. She already knows life is hard. Uh, you don't want her to think she's inept, and 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 it, she just needs help in this domain. And mind you, when she gets to college, she's probably going to need a coach. You know, so you say. And then what happens after that? Well, then the, she'll need external structure of of whatever kind of, as an adult. Uh, so it, 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 with luck, she'll begin to develop some of these skills. Believe me, she would like to be independent too. She doesn't want to sit down with you, and and put the notes in the pro- proper pocket. So she she. And you can encourage her, you know. Let's hope you can do this on your own. But but if you back off and sort of say, okay, you know, I'm going to let you fail, so you so then you'll see how much it hurts, and and then you'll learn to do it. She won't learn to do it. She'll just she'll just learn to not like herself very much.
1: But and, if they're if they're bucking you and not wanting to do it, is that a case where you back off and let them at least come to the understanding? Oh, of the oh yes, that's a
2: whole other matter. If yeah. they're rejecting, I'm facing that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, if they're rejecting structure, if they're saying, you know, stop nagging me, get off my back, mm-hmm. got uh, it under control, mom. Yeah, got it under control. Then you say, okay, let's do the experiment. I'm going to back off and let's see what happens. And then, uh, and then, and then they discover that they need your help. And then, you, and then you come back in and say, okay, the experiment failed, so I'm going to help you now. And 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 you know, see, the problem is the nag factor gets in the way, and yeah. that, and that's where, yeah. as they get older, a coach can help someone that, that you hire to mm-hmm. sort of do what you used to do but the, without the nag factor. And, and um, it's, it's not a terrible expense, and it can, it can, it can make a big difference. Because these kids, as they head into, you know, later adolescence, they, they, they're rejecting anything you say, even if it's helpful stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's true. Yeah, it's part of what they're doing. Here's right. an interesting question. I'm really gl- glad we got this question from Lynn. I'm curious where to find information for the ADHD parent. I am not parenting an ADHD child, but I am ADHD myself. I have developed a lot of coping mechanisms over the years, but could still use a lot of guidance on how to keep up with my roller coaster mind. It can be such a hindrance in school and home life. It's extremely frustrating. Thanks. She raises such a good point that we want to think that ADD is a child's issue, but in fact it's a lifetime issue.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, my book, Delivered from Distraction, uh, along with driven to distraction has a lot of material in there aimed at adults. Uh, mm-hmm. adult A D D is the great undiagnosed uh, uh, group of people with A D D. Kids more and more are, are getting diagnosed and, and helped. Uh it's the adults out there who are who are underachieving and don't know why, uh who can't, you know, get a handle on their race car brain, uh and mm-hmm. and uh uh, so you, what she you needs to do, you could read those two books I mentioned.
1: Yes, and then "liberty the, distraction" the, and "driven to distraction," both d-
2: delivered from and driven to distraction. Oh, yes, good it, point. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 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 the, the same treatments, the same medications, the same ideas about structure and exercise, the same thing about you know getting positive uh, uh, you know identification of talents—all of that applies to adults just as much as it does to children. In fact, some of the most devastating you know, incidents are in adults who just, just have given up on themselves and just think they're complete losers.
1: And in mm-hmm. fact, they're
2: incredibly talented.
1: Mm-hmm. Here's a um, an email from Renee. Report cards came out this week and I am so discouraged. My wonderfully complex kid has learning differences as well as ADD. Please talk about how the two conditions overlap each other.
2: Well, first of all, don't be discouraged. Uh, both, uh, I have both dyslexia, which is a, a learning disability supposedly, and ADD, and I wouldn't trade either one for the world. Uh, most people only know the downside of these conditions, you know, but the, here I have dyslexia and I majored in English at Harvard. So, so, you know, there, it, it's, it, people really misunderstand these conditions. They, they are markers of talent, both dyslexia and ADD. Uh, most people with those with that combination have extraordinary talents like vision, creativity, initiative, a pioneering spirit, a sense of humor, a quirky sense of humor, kind of a charisma uh, so don't be discouraged and and it's the it's it's the fault of uh, the medical and mental health profession that you you feel discouraged and teachers as well. Uh, these diagnoses do not consign you to a lifelong struggle. Yes, you will need extra help with certain things, for sure. That's true. You will have to work harder. Your child will have to work harder at certain things. That's true. But your child will have things come naturally to him that never come to some people, like new ideas. You know, like a fresh way of looking at things. So, so, so the downside is more than offset by the upside as long as you keep that in mind. What, what is the real disability? Is, is fear and shame and reduced uh, expectations and shattered dreams and loss of hope. That, that's, what's, that's what disables a child, and, and, and those are utterly preventable. Um,
1: is there an, are, are children with ADD more likely to have other learning differences as well?
2: Yes, yes. There's a higher percentage of dyslexia, and that's the main one, among people with ADD than in the general population.
1: Here is uh, um, an email from Sophia. I've not read this new book, but I've read a couple of your others, including Driven to Distraction. You talk about ADD as a gift. Although there are aspects that may be gift-like, it, in the everyday reality of elementary school, it is definitely not a gift. It's more like a curse. I need more than a paradigm shift to help my child. I'm sure you've heard that before, um, uh, Dr. Halliwell. What would you say to Sophia?
2: Oh, absolutely! You need more than a paradigm shift, and and I I believe I give a lot more than a paradigm shift in 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 my books, and particularly this new one. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a a whole lot of new information. Uh, that that cycle of excellence is a a very specific example of what to do. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the conative stuff that I put in the new book, uh, and certainly I write about medication. I write about mm-hmm. non-medication interventions like neurofeedback, uh, dietary supplements. So I've I've got a a a ton of of uh specific suggestions beyond the paradigm shift but i do think it yeah. all i do think it all begins with the paradigm shift yeah. it all begins with you know trying to see the positive as well as the negative and and uh, mm-hmm. yes uh, elementary school really does penalize you for not having you know real good executive functioning but if all you're getting is penalized and reprimanded and remediated then you do acquire the disorder of shame and fear and loss of hope, and then that's that's why I'm I'm trying to shift the mm-hmm. paradigm. But I, I I certainly offer a lot more than a paradigm shift.
1: The the refocusing is just I would say this for Sophia is just the first step. But in, in uh, none of the books of Dr. Hallabell that I've read and I've read many of them. Um, Would I say he stops there, it's just that's the beginning thing which kind of lays the foundation for you then to take all the other steps that would actually, um, would also be more than just the, the attitude shift. Also, don't you think that, I have often thought that attention deficit disorder, ADD, is on a continuum and that, as well as intellect and many other things that play into how much of a hardship the actual having ADD is for a person.
2: Because some people absolutely. have it,
1: have a different degrees of
2: it. Absolutely, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. I mean, everyone has a little bit, or they'd be like comatose. You know, I mean, so <laughs> uh, you know, yes. I mean, it's very much on a continuum, and where non-ADD leaves off and ADD begins is 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 you know somewhat. Arbitrary.
1: It is. It's a murky um, area. You know, yeah,
2: ab- absolutely. Absolutely.
1: What do you think of homeschooling as an option for kids with uh, attention deficit disorder? Well,
2: uh, you know, it's it's great if you can do it. I, I couldn't any more homeschool my children than fly to the moon. You know, I, I don't know how these parents do it. But the ones who do it, and I've, I've seen it work beautifully, you just want to make sure you get them social experiences, you know, in the afternoon and evening, you know, because you, you don't want them to not get the the social benefits of school, the sports, the interaction, the clubs, and, and all that. But, well,
1: but if you want to get them, if you, you want to
2: get, um, I'm sorry? Most homeschoolers do
1: a lot of that. There's actually more time. Yes. Uh, we, we ended up homeschooling one of our sons for a period of time. And what eventually, because we were the in the school system was not working well for him, and we didn't yes. want him to be beat up by the system, yes, the problem that I found after a while, and we did it for a number of years was that, in some ways, we couldn't prepare him um for academically we could do a very good job, but we couldn't prepare him for some of the organizational issues he was going to face if he were ever to get mainstreamed again. Mm-hmm. And we needed the main, him to be in the mainstream environment to help him figure out some of those coping techniques. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were too good at helping. We had too much structure, and that he would he didn't have to figure out with uh, how the coping techniques he needed in the real world, which is a kind of another. I'm not sure that's uh, an issue for all homeschoolers, but it, it was for for this particular kid. Sure. What's the latest research on that, that you know of on altering the diet to affect the behavior of a child or an adult, for that matter, I guess, with ADD?
2: Well, this is one of the sort of exciting areas uh, uh, that is hotly contested and debated, and, and uh, the, the, the short answer is no one knows for sure. We do know for sure that what you eat affects your brain. I mean, that's, that's obvious, what you eat, what you breathe, um, uh, how much you exercise, all of those affect your brain profoundly. But what is the optimal diet uh, for your brain, uh, for ADD, for for you know peak mental functioning? No one knows. I, I think there are some basic principles most people would agree with. You want to stay away from junk food, uh, food with a lot of sugar, a lot of additives, a lot of coloring. You want to try to eat whole foods primarily, as opposed to processed foods. You want to make sure you don't skip breakfast, and a lot of busy families breakfast gets overlooked, or all you get is carbohydrates for breakfast. You want to try to have protein in your breakfast, an egg, a smoked salmon, a protein shake, something like that. Uh, you want to obviously stay away from self-medicating with too much caffeine or, or alcohol or, or other drugs, um, and then in terms of supplements, and that's the that's the arena that you know, my goodness, that I get. Span every day recommending another supplement and you know, everybody has claimed they've found the fountain of youth and the, you know, the perfect body, the perfect brain, and, and there are folks out there with these incredible cocktails that, that I'm sure have merit to them. It's just very hard to pick and choose and say, this is what you should take, this is what you shouldn't take. The, the one supplement that I do recommend and take myself is omega-3 fatty acids in the form of fish oil. And there seems to be a lot of evidence this is not only good for your brain. And remember, your brain is about one-third lipids of fatty acids. Um, but it's good for your body in general. It's an anti-inflammatory action. That, and it's inflammation that drives most disease processes. So, so you know, if you want to – my my favorite supplement, it's it's fish oil in the form of omega-3s. But, uh, but more important than that are the principles I outlined first of – uh, whole foods, balanced diet, don't, don't skip breakfast, have protein in your breakfast.
1: Uh, here's a question from Lynette. I have two kids, both with ADD. One loves video games and the other isn't good at them and avoids them. I wonder if I should discourage the excess in one but encourage them for the other because an ability with computers and electronics and, and electronics is important in this world. Uh, that's an interesting point, point. Uh, and, and then I'd like for you to answer, Lynette, but also expand into the role of of video games, cell phones, iPods, electronics in general, uh, and sure. with kids who are distractible.
2: Well, uh, electronics are, are the new form of or uh, the new addiction. So, what you have to do as a parent is, is is limit. So some is good, too much is bad. It's it's like ice cream, you know. Some is great, too much is bad. And with these siblings, one who's good at it, and one who's not, you might want to have the good one teach the bad one, you know, and, and so you you build in a, a kind of positive experience that way. But you you, you really do need to limit uh, kids who are who are just addicted to these video games and electronics. Uh, they've got to learn to talk to people, and they've got to learn to go outside and play. Uh, so 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 you need to you need to limit the amount of time they spend doing it, and also monitor the content. You want to make sure it's not they're not getting into, you know, lurid kind of stuff.
1: And it's certainly out there. Here is a question from Carly. We adopted a five-year-old from Ukraine last year. She is in kindergarten this year. I am confused in how to determine if she has ADD or if she just has a hard time focusing and sitting still because she has never been required to do that in her previous orphanage life. How much does early life experiences affect a child's ability to focus, and does this improve with time? without intensive therapy?
2: Yes, early life experiences have a, play a big role. And yes, it should improve uh, with time uh, in the environment you're providing this lucky girl. Uh, so I, I wouldn't jump into the ADD diagnosis as yet. I'd, I'd try to give her more time at home with you know, all the love and structure and predictability and sleep and all the, all the stuff we've talked about. Uh, that should help her brain a great deal. Uh, And then, if if the problem continues, then sure, bring her in for an evaluation.
1: We don't have a lot of time left, but I want to talk briefly, or want you to talk briefly, about uh, the whole uh, cognitive skill, or the, uh, I think that would be the right way to say it, the the research you were uh, talking about in Super Parenting for ADD, the research done by Dr. Colby. I'm finding, I found it absolutely fascinating and planned today. Uh, to sit down with my kids and uh, my husband, and we're going to all do the the con- is it cognitive testing? Am I cognitive, gonna, yeah, good
2: for you. I, I really commend it to all of you listening. It it's a test you can take online. You go to Colby K O L B E com. I'm going to have a link to it on my site, so you can. Get, oh, yeah. oh, good, good. Okay. It, it it's, it's it'll take your breath away if you understand it. It makes such sense. Uh, it does. And it's, a, it, 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 it's a word no one's heard of, conative, but it, what it really refers to is your your genetic inborn uh, style of, tacking, of tackling a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, an exa- the example I use in the book is give someone a pile of junk and say, make something with this. What they do next will, will be a function of their what Kathy calls their MO or their conative style. Uh, one kind of person will ask questions, well, what do you want me to make? Or another kind of person will start sorting the junk out into different categories, Another sort of person will just start jump in and start putting things together without asking any questions or doing any sorting. Another kind of person will stand back and study it for a while, and all of that. There's no right way to do it, but all of those are governed by not cognition, not by emotion, but by what Kathy calls conation, which is again your characteristic style of trying to do something. And it's when you understand it, it's it's just phenomenally helpful. Uh, in 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 relationships, in school, in in, in just in understanding people,
1: and, and the thing I really liked about it, or, or your description of it, I since I haven't done it, but uh, your description of it was, if this is not a uh, one way is better than the other, and I think so often, I think our school systems, I also think it just intuitively, it's easy for any of us to fall into the trap of thinking, the way I approach the world is the right way because that's the way I do, and it's worked
2: exactly. for me. Therefore, exactly.
1: you should be like me, and that exactly. my, but in fact, you know that's just not how it is.
2: Exactly, we are, we, we and, need, and we need to get out of that sort of the what I call the moral model of my way is better than yours and and more virtuous than yours, and into the more descriptive model that says, okay, this is the way I'm naturally inclined to tackle a problem, and and it's not better than the way you do it, but it, it's the way I do it, and and then you, you want people to primarily be operating within the the mode that comes naturally to them instead of being forced into a mode that's alien to them.
1: Yeah, and I I feel like so often our schools um, don't do that.
2: Um, It's
1: a constant source of frustration in my life. (laughs) Yes,
2: yes, yes. But we're going to try and change all that.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being my guest today, Doctor Hallowell. Um, this has just been great. As I said, I am a huge fan of all your books and this new book, Super Parenting for A D D, is just terrific and I well, I, I Thank thoroughly... you for having
2: me, Dawn. You're you're a wonderful interviewer and I've really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Well, to get more information, everyone who's listening on Dr. Hallowell or his new book, Super Parenting for ADD, as well as the Hallowell Center for Cognitive and Emotional Health, both in Massachusetts as well as in New York City, go to drhallowell.com, and there is no period there, just to d-r-h-a-l-l-o-w-e-l-l, 2L, sir, dot com. And we're going to, we have a couple of more questions that we're not going to have time to for. I am going to post them. On the uh, Facebook, creating a family group. I forgot to ask you at the beginning of the interview, Dr. Hallibel, if you are a member of Facebook. Uh, if you are and you have time, and you could jump over and uh, and take a look at any of the questions, we would appreciate it. If you're a member of Facebook, for anybody listening, it's simply a matter of just clicking to join the creating a family Facebook group. Really uh, and the questions system. tend to be are um, are both from uh, adoptive parents. Um, you have been listening to creating a family talk about adoption and infertility. You can replay this show or download it as a podcast from iTunes. You can get both the replay and the podcast from the radio pages at creatingafamily.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast from iTunes on this page as well. My shows are evenly divided between infertility and adoption. To receive notice of upcoming shows, you can sign up for the updates from any of the pages at creatingafamily.com. Next week, January 28th, the show will be on how to create a family using donor embryos, also sometimes known as embryo adoption. I have a great lineup of guest experts from clinics, adoption agencies, and lawyers that specialize in the legal issues of of, uh, adopting embryos or using donated embryos. And And on February 4th, Uh, Dr. Dana Johnson will be my guest to talk about how to evaluate a referral of a child or a birth mother match to determine the risk factors that child may have and if you are up to parenting that child. Join me for these shows, and please tell everyone you know about the Creating a Family show. See you next week.
0: Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive.